It is um, really a great joy and an honor to be here with you. I just want to say that uh, the moment I walked in this morning, I was greeted by so many people, such a warm church, such a welcoming church, such a hospitable church. It is a, truly a joy for me to be here uh, today with you. I love so much your pastor, Pastor Ian. I know you are eagerly waiting for him to return. And uh, he's been such a, a blessing to my life personally, as well as your elders, and specifically Brian. I uh, love you so much, Brian. Thank you for your kind words to me today. Um, I'm just excited to jump into God's word with you. So thank you for having me. Um, before we begin, I'm going to start uh, with a question. So, so here's the question. Ready? Here's the question. As a follower of Jesus Christ... I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I here for? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning in this place, I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I here for? Why am I here? Am I here to start a family? Am I here to make a lot of money? Am I here to realize my dreams and goals and pursue them? Am I here to help others realize their dreams and goals and help others to pursue them? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, ask yourself this question. What am I here for? Today we're jumping into some of Jesus' clearest teaching on the function, the purpose of Christians in the world. And so if you're wondering, I'm not sure exactly what I'm here for. Jesus gives us some answers. So I want you to turn with me right now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, I believe the ushers will be coming forward to put a copy of God's word into your hands. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. While you're turning there, let me give you a bit of the context. Our text today comes from Jesus' sermon. On the Mount in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever stepped foot on the face of the earth. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very interested about laying out the qualities and characteristics of all true citizens of the kingdom of God. And having just laid out the qualities and characteristics of all true citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus now begins to elaborate in our text today on how these characteristics are to be lived out or manifested in the lives of his people. Before we read the text, we need to make no mistake about this this morning. All true citizens of the kingdom of God must have a real and lasting impact on the world around them. So look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. This is what Jesus says. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is teaching in his Sermon on the Mount what the blessed life is, what the deeper life is. And in our text today, he teaches us that the deeper life, the blessed life by necessity is a life that reaches farther. It's a life that is more than just about a little bubble that exists in my home or my church. The the blessed life, the deeper life, the fulfilled life in Jesus Christ by necessity reaches farther. So I want you to write this down. Going deeper with Christ means reaching farther. Write this down. Reaching farther means this, uh, embracing the call to influence. Embracing the call to influence. That's what the word of God brings to us today. It's a, a call on the lives of every true citizen of the kingdom to be a life of influence. On the screen for you, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He wrote, the Christian is not someone who lives in isolation. He is in the world, though he is not of it, and he bears a relationship to that world. The Christian is told that he must be otherworldly in his mind and outlook, but that never means that he retires out of the world. In these verses, we are told very clearly the relationship of the Christian to the world in general. Why are we here? Why are you in your workplace every day? Why are you at your school every day? Why are you in your family interacting every day? Why are you rubbing shoulders with people in the grocery store every single day as a Christian? Notice the first part of verse 13 and 14 again. Jesus tells us why. He says, you are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Right away, we need to see the connection between what Jesus has just said as he caps off the Beatitudes in verses 10 and 11 and what he's saying right now. Let me show you on the screen what he said in verses 10 and 11. He caps off the Beatitudes with the following. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Listen, having just laid out the the hard reality of persecution in the lives of every true follower of Jesus Christ, having just laid out, capping off the Beatitudes, having just laid out the blessing of persecution in the lives of true followers of Christ, he now leans into the crowd with an emphatic exhortation to drive home the urgency and the seriousness of the calling of every true disciple of Jesus Christ. What is the calling on the life of every true disciple of Jesus Christ? It is a call to influence. 
It's a call to be salt. It's a call to be light. It's right here in verses 13 and 14. Jesus says now to you, Harvest Durham, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now it's important for us to understand that one of salt's main functions throughout the centuries has been uh, to function as a preservative. Salt was always used to preserve food. Salt was a preservative added to food to protect food, to prevent spoilage, to slow down decay and spoilage. So when Jesus says to us today that you are the salt of the earth, he's announcing that all true disciples of Jesus Christ, all true citizens of the kingdom of God are to function as a kind of preservative in this world. It doesn't take us very long to look around at this world and see the world is spoiling. The world is decaying. You look through your social media feed and you see very quickly that the world is spoiling. It's, it's decaying because of sin. Jesus says that you are in the world. I am in the world as a citizen of the kingdom of God to help prevent this spoilage that sin is causing to help preserve the culture, to help preserve the society as sin infiltrates. But Jesus says something else. He says, not only are his disciples likened to salt, notice now verse 14, he says, that they are the light of the world. We are likened to salt, we are likened now to light. And with this statement comes the reality of a new era, you need to understand. It comes the reality of the new covenant that Jesus Christ came to usher in. This statement, you are the light of the world, is a statement that points to prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was the prophet Isaiah who said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Speaking of Jesus Christ, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So watch what Jesus is saying now. He, he not only comes as the light of the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world elsewhere, but he goes a step further and he says about his followers, he says about his church, he says about the people of his kingdom, you are also now an extension of the light that I am. It's a beautiful fulfillment of prophecy here in this region, in this cities that you live in, where you are from. You are an extension of this prophetic word of Isaiah that light has come into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And not only is he the light of the world, Jesus gives us this profound calling. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, this is a big deal as we consider God's redemptive purposes for the world. God is actively saving people all over the world. He has a plan to redeem and restore people and reconcile them back to himself. It's a big deal as we consider the redemptive plan of God, but this is a big deal as we consider also just how dark the world really is. And, and we are the light. The Washington Post published an article entitled, uh, Think Christianity is Dying? No, 
it's actually shifting dramatically. Listen to some of the statistics. The article went on to describe the center of Christianity has shifted from the West to the global South. One century ago, 80% of the world's Christians lived in North America and Europe. Today, only 40% of the world's Christians live in North America and Europe. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global South, that's Asia, Africa, and Latin America, than in the North for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people, and one out of four Christians in the world today is an African. Asia is also experiencing growth as the world's Christianity center has moved not only south, but also east. Listen, in the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of the population in Asia. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is projected to grow to 460 million by the year 2025. The article goes on. The global religious wild card is China. Today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than in the United States. Now, statistics like this show us a few things. One obvious reality is that the influence of the Christian church where we live seems to be declining while the influence of the Christian church in other parts of the world is rapidly increasing, completely shifting the center of Christianity in the world. That means that today the face of Christianity is no longer a Western face. The face of Christianity in the world is more like an African face or an Asian face or a Latin American face. Now, at least three things happen in my heart when I read statistics like this. Number one, my heart rejoices that the gospel is growing and advancing in some of the most hostile areas of the world. This is good news. Secondly, my heart, feels, my heart feels burdened by the ever-increasing secularization of our own country where we live. We're so comfortable, we're so cozy, we're so prosperous, we're so dead in many ways as the Christian church's influence decreases. And then thirdly, my heart is filled with urgency now to wholeheartedly embrace the words of Jesus Christ here in Matthew chapter five, the call to influence, the call to be salt, the call to be light globally. We as a church in the Western world have a profound opportunity to partner with the church around the world that doesn't have the resources that we have to partner with training, with support, to see the gospel that is advancing there grow in strength even more. But locally, locally, loved ones, we need to wake up. 
Locally, we as the Christian church here in our country, we need to wake up. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The, the word you in the original Greek, it's, it's emphatic. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're not salt, if you're not light, no one will be. There's an emphatic emphasis there in the text. It's, it's like Jesus says, Harvest Durham, if, if you don't function as salt and light, he says to my church in Toronto, if you don't function as salt and light, who will? And the answer is no one will. You are the salt of the earth. There's no other salt. You are the light of the world. And so if we don't function as salt and light, as influencers in this world with the gospel of Jesus in hand, no one will. So here's the question for self-examination. And believe me, it's a question that I've asked myself and wrestled with so much, even this week. And here's the question. Is your presence where you live making any impact at all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, me, I'm, I'm there, I'm on my street, I'm talking to my neighbors, and this week, I'm, as I'm talking to my neighbors, this, this comes to my heart and mind, are you making any impact on this man in any way? Is the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, possessing the Spirit of God inside of you, empowered by the Spirit of God, full of the light of Jesus Christ, is the fact that you live on your street, the fact that you walk into your grocery store, the fact that you work at your workplace, making any difference at all, any impact at all, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an important question because our presence in the world, Jesus says, must make an impact. Our presence in the world must influence people around us because Jesus says that we are salt and light influencers, world changers, ambassadors of a great eternal kingdom. Going deeper means reaching farther by necessity and reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. Secondly, I want you to write this down. Reaching farther means this. It means avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness. Not only embracing the call to influence, but avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness. Notice the text, verses 13 to 15. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Watch this now. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Watch this. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
Now, now Jesus is giving us something very practical here, very specifically how not to be ineffective in the world. How not to render ourselves ineffective as salt and light in the world. That's our function. We started the message by asking the question, what are we here for? That's our function. Jesus is answering that. We're salt and light. Now he gives us something practical. Hey, hey, how do you protect yourself from being rendered completely ineffective? I want you to write this down. I'm rendered completely ineffective in the world when, write this down, when I'm willfully submitting to sin. When I'm willfully submitting to sin, notice the text in verses 13, you are the salt of the earth. Listen, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What's Jesus talking about here? It's important for us to know that the only instance in which salt can lose its taste is if it's been contaminated. When a batch of contaminated salt was found in a first century home, what they would do, they would make sure that salt didn't land on their crops or on their garden. They would make sure to take that batch of contaminated salt and they would throw it onto the path and it would be trampled under people's feet. Why? Because contaminated salt is useless. Contaminated salt no longer is salty. Contaminated salt no longer serves its purpose or its function. Jesus is warning here. Jesus is painting a picture here for us of the utter devastation of being rendered ineffective as Christians of being rendered useless in this world. How is it exactly that churches lose their impact in the world? How is it exactly that individual Christians lose their impact in the world? Well, it's when they've been contaminated by sin. It's when there's areas of compromise with sin. It's when people play with sin and essentially play with fire and their life is contaminated, full of compromise, Jesus says, you render yourself ineffective as a citizen and ambassador of my kingdom if you're choosing today to play with sin. I wonder, I wonder if there's anyone in the room and that's you. Because I look at my life, I don't know what you think of preachers. Sometimes people think preachers are all up here. I look at my life and there are seasons where my heart is tempted towards sin. There are seasons where I'm submitting to sin and I, and I need to cut that off. I need to repent of that. I wonder if there's anyone in the room and the spirit of God is speaking to you and say you're, you're functioning like contaminated salt in the world. You're not having your intended purpose or effect or influence. I'm rendered completely ineffective in the world when I'm willfully submitting to sin. Some are doing that today. And today is a day that we can turn from our sin and find the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to cover every part. You say, you don't know what I've done. I tell you, the grace of Jesus will meet you today. I'm rendered completely ineffective when I'm willfully submitting to sin. Second thing, 
I'm rendered completely ineffective in the world when I'm constantly hiding the light. Notice verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Jesus has no problem stating the obvious here because sometimes the most profound realities are simple truths that simply need to be obeyed. Here's the truth, you you can't hide a city on a hill. Jesus is stating the obvious. When a city is on a hill, it's elevated up high, everyone can see it. It's a contradiction in terms that you can hide a city on a hill. Jesus states the obvious. He says, nobody goes to Home Sense and buys a beautiful lamp and brings it home, and then all of a sudden, so this is such a beautiful lamp, I'm I'm gonna put this on the table, and then go into the garage and get a basket and come back in the house and say, what a beautiful lamp, and then cover it and then turn the light on, but no one can see the light. Nobody does that. Jesus is stating the obvious. To get a lamp and bring it in the house and to turn it on to cover it up is a contradiction in terms. In other words, Jesus is saying to hide the light of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ is a contradiction in terms. It is completely contradictory to who you are to hide the light as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a complete contradiction in terms that you're a follower of Christ that hides the light because all true followers of Jesus Christ are to let their light shine. Meanwhile, while so many in the Western world are rendering themselves ineffective, hiding the light, so many in other parts of the world and so many people throughout history give us an example of what it means to be salt and light in the world. I wanna show you a story, share a story with you, a picture on the screen of Adoniram and Ann Judson. They were missionaries to India and Burma in the 1800s. They sacrificed their entire lives in order to make the light of Jesus Christ known to lost and dying people, no matter the cost. Listen to how their journey began. Read this biography, it said, almost immediately Adoniram was smitten by Anne's vivacity, charm, and beauty, and a month later he formally asked her in a letter if she would consent to have him court her. She replied that he must secure her father's permission. So it was July of 1810 that Adoniram sent her father one of the most extraordinary letters from a prospective son-in-law. Listen to what he wrote to her father. He wrote, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this? 
in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. And through a season of struggle, her father eventually consented to her, his daughter marrying Adoniram. They ended up getting married, leaving for India, and their journey was marked by a persecution and prison and trauma and illness and suffering and finally death. The biography goes on to say, Adoniram was imprisoned under horrific conditions. Listen, Anne literally saved his life by pleading with government officials to let him live, by daily taking food to him in the prison, and by relentlessly pressuring the government authorities throughout the course of the war to free him. <clears throat> no sooner, though, than Adoniram was released in 1826, and fell sick. Exhausted by this time of stress, persecution, and the burden of managing things without her husband's help, she died on October 24th, 1826, her last words being uttered in Burmese, the tongue of the people she had grown to love. Now as I read a, a biography like that, as I read that biography, I remember beginning to ask myself the question, wrestling within myself, how can we account for such a life of saltiness? How do we account for such a life of light? How do we account for such a life of sacrifice and loss and suffering and self-denial? And the clear answer that kept coming up in my mind was that the only way anyone could ever live a life of such saltiness and effectiveness and influence in this world is, is when they are awakened out of their slumber to the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for them such that they are compelled by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ not to sit in a corner and self-indulge but to step out of their comfort territory and to reach people to be influencers in this world. How can we as a church in the Western world live lives of such influence? How can we in the Western world live lives of such saltiness and light where we are and even beyond our country? The only way is that we as a church be awakened out of our Western world slumber. The only way, John Piper calls it, the Disneyland of America or Canada. The only way we can live lives of such saltiness is that we wake up to the reality that I was once lost, but because of Jesus Christ, now I'm found. That I wake up, that, that a new house, a new car doesn't compare. Listen, I was once blind. But now I see. <laughs> Climbing up the corporate ladder, like who, who cares about that? I was once dead. And because of Jesus, 
Now I'm alive and there are people that I talk with every day who are blind, who are dead, who are lost. And, and if I'm awakened to the reality of what Jesus has done for me, I'm awakened and compelled now to be to them what someone else was for me, an influencer, an evangelist, someone to come to me to tell me I don't have to be blind anymore. I don't have to be dead anymore. I don't have to wander lost anymore. I can be saved. How can we live lives of saltiness and light, of effectiveness and usefulness? Well, we stop compromising with sin. That renders us ineffective. We can do that today. We just put it aside. We can stop hiding the light of Jesus Christ for for whatever reason we're hiding the light. This is not a time to feel guilty. This is a time to allow the Spirit of God to awaken you to the reality of what he's done for you. And only when we're awakened to the reality of what he's done for us will we be compelled to be salt and light in the world around us. This is not a time to feel guilty and I just gotta try harder and do better. This is a time to just put off try harder and do better, put that over there, and, 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 and meditate on the grace and mercy of Jesus towards you. When you meditate on that, you become very salty. You become the preservative that Jesus Christ has called us in his sermon to be. Going deeper, the blessed life, it means reaching farther. It means reaching beyond these walls. It means reaching beyond your home. Reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. It means Avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness. One more thing. Write this down. Reaching farther means this now. Uh, Getting a vision for the ultimate purpose. Getting a vision for the ultimate purpose. Notice verse 16 now. A very profound verse, a special verse. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, what's the end game? What's the ultimate purpose? What are we going for? The ultimate purpose, the end game is the glory of God. It's, it's that people, now this is what Jesus says will happen. People look at your life. They see that you're salty. They see that you're bright. You shine a bright light. They see your good works. They see your good deeds. And Jesus says what they'll do is they'll see something different about you and then they'll put away their idols and they'll give glory to God in heaven. That's what Jesus says will happen. And so essentially, just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden, just like no one lights a lamp to put it under a basket, Jesus says in the same way, he says now let your light shine. And when that happens, people will see it. And when people see it, people will be changed by it. Let's consider that for a moment. Getting ready to close. Consider that for a moment, that people will see your life and they can be changed forever. Consider the reality of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, the Spirit of God will live inside of you and they see your life and they will be changed because of your 
life. It's staggering. It's remarkable. I read the following. I'm going to close with this about Robert Murray McShane. It was said of Robert Murray McShane, a, a godly Scottish minister, that his face carried such a hallowed expression that people were known to fall on their knees and accept Christ as Savior when they looked at him. Others were so attracted by the self-giving beauty and holiness of his life that they found his master so irresistible. Wouldn't it be awesome if something like that could be said of us? Wouldn't it be amazing if something like that could be said of you, that when you go to work tomorrow, that people look at you and there's just something about you. There's just light emanating from you. There's good works coming from you. They don't understand what it is and they want what you have. That's what Jesus says will happen now. Not everyone responds favorably to the influence of Christians. Christians are dying all over the world, but Jesus says, many will. The question that we want to close with today is, will you, will I allow my life, will you allow your life to be an agent that God could use? Yes, to be offensive to some who reject Jesus, but, but oh, how glorious to think, yes, an agent that God will use to see people move from death to life. Can that be my life? And I'm saying it can be your life. In fact, it is God's will that that is your life. And so the exhortation, as summer begins to wind down and you get ready to get really busy in this church, here's the exhortation. Let your light Shine, just let it shine. Don't cover it up, don't hold it back. Let your light shine and listen. Watch what Jesus will do. Let's pray. Oh Father in heaven, we are staggered and amazed again by your words that not only are you the light of the world, the light that this dark world so desperately needs, but in your sovereignty and according to your plan and providence, you have decreed that your church be an extension of that light. Lord, some in this room are, are compromising with sin. I pray that this is a moment of repentance and turning and saying, Lord, forgive me. I've rendered myself ineffective. I'm running back to you. Now would you use my life? Some, for whatever reason in this room, no doubt, are hiding the light for different reasons. Some are Embarrassed, some have lost the, the awe and wonder of what you've done. And God, there's really no 
amount of rehearsing theology that can get our hearts to be amazed again. We need that theology to bear fruit in our hearts by your spirit. Would you awaken us? Not to be full in our heads of theology, but to live our theology, to believe our theology, to be gripped and amazed by our theology again. Knowing that our time here on this earth is also short, you're coming back soon. To rule and reign, there's a beautiful kingdom for us, an inheritance imperishable. We can't wait, Lord, to be with you, but until then, let this church shine so brightly in this community. I pray for my church in Toronto that we would shine in a dark place. Pray for each individual to shine this week. Lord, do that in us and through us. We pray. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.